All right. Happy Sunday. I am, uh, I get, I, I'm excited. I like to preach. Um, I only get to do it a few times a year. I'm grateful to give, um, Mr. Jason a break. Um, he's been working hard and I have appreciated so much his lessons. But, um, but just a warning and a caveat, and I always do this whenever I get to speak, is that, um, if I haven't been up here for a while, that means there's a lot rolling around in my noodle. And it's liable to come out today. So I will do my very best um, with what I got going on in my head today. All right? All right, let, let's just start with a prayer. I think it's good. Father, thank you so much for those that have gathered here today. Thank you for those that have gathered and are watching online. Thank you for those that will watch later in the week. Uh, God, I am so grateful to be part of this community, God, and I want to be a, a, a ligament in this community, God. I want to be part of it that helps build it and hold it together and not tear it down. Uh, thank you so much uh, just for giving us this statute of meeting. I don't even know if that's the right word, but this just what we do on Sundays as we come together as a family and we focus on you and how important that is in just setting the tone for our lives and for our weeks and for our days. We just thank you so much for this just piece of scripture that we're going to look at today. And then all the thoughts and feelings that it's going to evoke in me and in others as we apply it to our own lives and think about our past and think about our futures, God. We love you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we left. We're in our our exodus, and I have a little section like after the Red Sea, Uh, a section I'm really fired up about, but, you know, there's so much scripture that you got, there's no way you're going to cover it all, so I just had to pick a few things out. But if we left last week, um, we left with the Israelites kind of had their backs against the wall, right? They were backed against the Red Sea, Egyptians coming down, and um, God parted the Red Sea, and they made it through on dry ground, and then the sea came back and wiped away their enemies, not just dealt with them, but gone, right? Never coming back again. And frankly, if you think about it for them, they're never going back there again. Physically or even just, you know, as a people. And then they have this kind of song of victory and joy as God has hurled the horse and rider into the sea. And, and, you know, they just have this moment of, oh my gosh, God has done great things, saved us, rescued us, and brought us out of the land. And um, I always think about baptism there, you know, like when they go through the Red Sea, that whole, you know, it's just obviously the illusion is there for sure in baptism to the Red Sea. But, um, but, um, and then they, they, God kind of takes them out into the wilderness. And that's kind of the name of my, my lesson today, into the wilderness. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But I wanted to mention a couple of things that have stood out to me, um, as we've gone through the book Exodus. Um, having read it a lot of times before, it's been really interesting to listen. And it's a little intimidating, honestly, to get a follow, you know, a Hebrew scholar in the pulpit, right? <laughs> And I, I know he's like, don't worry about it. And I'm not. I'm just going to be me and he's going to be him, right? Amen. But still, it's crazy the depth of things that come out of the scriptures that you didn't know were there, right? And a couple of things that really stood out to me is even just all these years of being a Christian and studying the Bible, just really understanding that whenever you see the name the Lord in little caps, you're really seeing the name Yahweh. Right? And it's just, it's the way the translators have translated that. And that word Yahweh is really meant to not, to, so that you don't even speak the name of God. And the name of God is what? I am. 
this very simple, two of the shortest words in the English language of I am. How simple that name is, right? But yet how complex and how deep and how mysterious it is when, it, when you try to understand God is the name I am. Or maybe, as Moses may have said, he is, right? You know, as you're talking to somebody else, he is, right? As you're talking, as you're thinking about God, I am, the great I am, right? It's a really a crazy name, and it's a crazy dichotomy for me to think about because I think about my own relationship with God. How simple in one way to get to know God. But yet, as I've journeyed down this road for many years, as many of you have, how honestly complicated it is at times, how mysterious it is, how deep it is. And you know when you get to know God, you're not just getting to know God. Guess who else you're getting to know? Yourself. Right? And um, it's just kind of crazy, that, that type of thing. So that really has stand, stood out to me. And yet, in all of this, you know, Jason, the name of this whole series that I may dwell among them, God wants to dwell with us. He wants to know us to know him, and he wants us to dwell with him as well. And then the other thing that has stood out to me in this whole series is how often in the book of Exodus, I don't know if you've caught this too, the creation keeps getting pointed back to. Have you caught that quite a bit? It's really interesting, you know, because I've done a little bit of Hebrew study the last few years too, and, you know, when you go through the, the levels of interpretation in the Hebrew scriptures, there's like the first level is like what's the basic, plain, basic reading of a scripture. But the second level right under it, the, the word I've known or used is called remez. And a remez is like an allusion back to another scripture. It's almost like as I'm telling you something, I'm, I'm pointing to this other thing that previously existed in the story of God in scripture. And there is a lot of remez back to the creation. And I think we're going to see that um, as we go through the things today. Like, you know, we saw fire and water, right? We saw day and night. We saw order. You know, the creation account was bringing order out of chaos. We saw what happened when an oppressive ruler decided to try to bring chaos to order. Right? Um, a lot of what God does when you make things right. So, anyway, that's what I've stood out to me. But, so, we're at this point. They've sung their song. They've been through the Red Sea. Obviously, these are huge, traumatic events. We get kind of the lullaby effect of having read them so much, right? We, we, let's just all exi- admit we get the lullaby effect on Scripture, right? Right? You've heard it so much, it can just kind of, kind of roll in. And we're trying, right? But still, it can be a little bit of a barrier for me. So I've tried to really put myself more in their position, or I'm going to try a little bit today, to do that with all of us. So we're at this point, the enemy has been handled, the oppressor has been vanquished, if you will, the blockage between God and his people has been removed. Right? They were always his people, but there was this oppression and this this blockage, this this force, this empire that kept them from being together, Right? You know, took a few plagues to clear that blockage up. That's like a quadruple bypass times three. Um, And it's all been cleared. And and you could just say a good a good religious word. They've been redeemed, right? And you think I mean I can't help but talk about this and not think about my own spiritual conversion, the blockage between me and God that was my sin. The blockage between me and God that was the not knowing this 
even God cared about me and how all that has been removed. So, you know, God has cleared this blockage so now he can dwell among them and they can enjoy unhindered fellowship with Yahweh. Seems easy, doesn't it? But we all know that's not how it goes, is it? That's not how this is going to go down. And really, I don't know how it went for you. Maybe when you first came to know the Lord, it was easy. And it's just been unhindered and great fellowship ever since then. And I hope that's the case. But really for so much of us, you know, I, I, I think a good expositional, uh, expository preacher is going to like just preach the scripture and then come back and do the personal application. That's not me. I'm going to apply the whole way through this thing because that's just how I think. So hopefully I don't confuse it too much. Because I know when I got converted, I mean, there was definitely a honeymoon phase. But it wasn't long before I started finding blockages between me and my relationship with God. And 25 years later, I still got some. Probably a lot of them I put there myself, but they're there. So we're going to go into the wilderness. So God, after all this, takes them into the wilderness. And I like this picture. I picked it out. If you saw a really clear picture of it, you can see tire tracks. So it's actually kind of like a Jeep road. But I just imagine the Israelites with their cattle and their donkey. And they've got to have some carts, right? They're pulling some carts with some stuff on them. And they're headed out into the wilderness. And that's where God takes them. So let's pick it up in Exodus 15. Verse 22, give you a second to get there. All right, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, and he put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Okay, into the wilderness, three days in. Didn't Moses, like, wasn't that part of the deal of going to Pharaoh, let me people go three days into the wilderness? I think I remember that. But somewhere in this journey, three days in, they, they go three days without finding water. And, and so now the stress starts, right? The stress starts um, in there, and the grumbling comes after that. You know, it's funny, Jason asked us last week, you know, what happens to a people when they get stuck between a rock and a hard place, between their enemies and an immovable barrier. And they, you know, what do, you, what do people do when they get in that very stressful situation? I, I'm a little cynical. You know what I had in my mind? I didn't shout it out, but well, I guess I'm saying it now. They turn on each other. That's been my experience. When things get really stressful to get everybody to stay from turning on each other and stay in community with one another. And that's just my little thought on what can happen sometimes. But they're in a very stressful situation. When people are stressful, what do they start doing? They start grumbling. They start complaining. And, you know, and you know, I noticed when I read this that they would always grumble against Moses. 
Actually, in the next section we're going to read, Moses goes, hey, 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 don't, you're not grumbling against me. You're grumbling against the Lord, right? But they weren't really equating it quite to God yet. They weren't understanding their predicament they were in was because of where God had led them. They were looking at Moses. And then I thought about this, too. If they were grumbling and complaining about and critical of Moses and Aaron, was that the only person they were grumbling and complaining about in that whole group? I doubt it. I know people. There was probably grumbling and complaining coming out in all directions. Because that's what I do. That's where I can go sometimes. Right? Now, they come to this place called Mara, which means bitter. That's what the word is, bitter. And you've heard that scripture, that name before, because that's what, uh, that's what Ruth told everyone to call her after she had lost her husband and her daughters had lost, her sons had died. And she, she, yeah, it was Naomi. Thank you. And she said, call me bitter. I'm bitter. If you've been around very long, you've probably done that a few times. You're like, I'm just bitter right now. Right? But I was just thinking, bitter situations lead to bitter hearts. And they're in a bitter situation right here. A God-led bitter situation from my perspective. Moses asked God to give him a solution. God doesn't say much. He gives him a solution. Here's a piece of wood. Throw it in the water. And then he gives this line about, gives them a ruling and an instruction, and he puts them to the test. And the ruling and the instruction is like a principle for life with God. And principles for life with God are good. They are good to learn, and they're bad to violate, generally speaking. And then they go around what I feel like is around the corner. What do they find? 12, palm, 12 springs, 70 palm trees, right? And you know, like, if you're learning to read on a deeper level, you realize that numbers have a big deal, or a big deal in Hebrew literature, right? So 12 springs probably represents what? 12 tribes, 70 palms. Seven, number of perfection. I mean, lots of water, perfect shade, probably right around the corner. And so, you know, if, if you're like me, you're kind of going, well, if you guys just had just stayed cool and not grumbled and just asked God, you could have just went all right on by Mara, went to Elam and had a really nice place. Instead, y'all had to stand around and drink the bitter water that had gotten fixed. And then went around the corner and went, probably Homer Simpson, right? Boom! It was right there. But we think that way. I don't know. Do you? Like, if I just trust God, everything will go right. But then again, what's really going on here? Let's talk about the word test. You know, we see this word in the scripture. You know, the, the translators translate a test, and it, it does mean test. But is it a test the way that you and I think about test? Like pass or fail tests. You know, it can also be translated prove. But guess what else it can be translated? Tempt. God tempted them there. I don't know. God does not tempt anyone, James says, right? But there's something going on where God has put them in this situation. And um, we need to kind of, I think we got to understand that a little bit. Or I, I think I need to understand that because here's my thing. I have had a spirit of judgment about scriptures like this for years. Like, what is wrong with you dumb Israelites? After all God has done for you, the miraculous signs and wonders, and then you go right into the desert and start grumbling and complaining and not trusting God and failing the test, what's wrong with you? And frankly, my 
my faith community kind of had that perspective on Old Testament too. Not everybody, but it was generally there. It's like if you do A, B, and C, you're going to get D. These guys didn't do it. We're not going to do that, right? But then that judgment kind of got into my own life as well. Because I realized that after all Jesus has done for me, how could I go out and do this? After all Jesus has done for me, how could I not trust God in my marriage? How could I not trust God in my business? How could I not trust God? Why am I blowing it after all Jesus has done for me? See, that same spirit of judgment I had towards the Israelites, guess where that spirit of judgment landed? It lands right on your own head. At least it did for me. And I could have that spirit of judgment with my brothers and sisters at one point in my life as well. So I just, I, I kind of look at it like this. You know, we have a Western way of looking at things. You go to school, you go to class, you study, you learn, you take the test, pass or fail. That is a very, that's my Western world way, worldview way of looking at things, of a test. I don't think that's what's going on here. This is a getting to know God type of word. You know, think about the Israelites, you guys, right now. Let's just think about them for a minute. Think about, we're going to use this word a lot today. You know, when you read the scriptures, you can come, you can kind of focus on some different areas of the scriptures. I'm going to focus today on transitions. Think about the transition the Israelites are in right now. Just think about it just like physically they have been taken away from their homeland and they cannot go back. How big of a deal is that? How about just what's going on in their head? Just trying to get some sure footing as this, as this dude has shown up and then God has shown up and like you've never experienced or ever understood before. And then these plays go down and then the Pharaoh and the mighty battle and the sea and the ocean and then out into the desert. I mean, this is a hugely brand new way of understanding life. Think about their, their religion, just their spirituality. Even as a community, they've never operated like this as a community before. This is brand new. They're in all wholly new territory right now. They're learning about God themselves in a wholly new way of doing life. But my point is, transitions are very disorientating. And I'm coming to you as a... I'm not... I'm, I'm disorientated. I'm not, like, losing my mind, but... I'm trying to figure out my footing a little bit spiritually these days. You know, where I'm at, what's going on, from being so sure about everything to the I am that was very simple to the I am that there's a lot more going on under there than I realized. You know, um, I mean, we all go through transitions in our lives, right? Just a new move is a transit. That can be disorientating. How about going through a divorce? What kind of transition is that? Losing a loved one. And, and those are just, you know, those are the traumatic ones. But even just going to a new job, you know, just changing from, from one stage in your life to the next stage in your life. These things are not easy. And they're hard to adjust and get settled and get back into again. So I just... I just think about, you know, I, I mean, it makes sense to me that God would take them three days out in the wilderness, right? Or at least they're out there. Why? Because they can't go back, right? Because if you read the scriptures, they often say they want to go back 
many times, always under what? Duress. Always under stress. They want to go back when things aren't going their way. And, you know, there's that. So it's kind of the saying, right? You know, I, I, I can't always have to use Peggy in my lessons, but, you know, you can take the girl out of the Catholic Church, but you can't take the Catholic Church out of the girl. You know, we, we joke about that. No disparagement there. You can take the people out of Egypt, but getting Egypt out of the people is a whole nother matter. You can take the Christian out of the world, but getting the world out of the Christian is a lifelong endeavor. It don't happen without stuff like this. It don't happen without tests and trials. It doesn't happen without getting into new territory. Because we don't, we're not going to engage in this type of deep soul searching about who we are and who God is and what we're doing in this life and what's going on around us without some of this stuff going on. And that's, that's kind of how I'm doing this. So here's my question. Is God disappointed with them or is this just part of the process? You can tell what I think. What about you? Is God disappointed in you? Or is this just part of the process? You can say, well, that depends on what, what you're caught up in and what you're doing. Okay, and that's fair. But man, running straight into failed the test, God's disappointed with me, I don't think is a good plan for me. And I don't think that's exactly what's going on here anyway. So there's so much here we can do. I can't do it all, obviously. So, But I'm going to read a good section of Exodus 16. So let's go over there. More water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if we only had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around by pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. A little Sabbath thing going on here, right? <clears throat> so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Do you ever get this idea from Moses? This is just me. Like Moses is in this incredible servant of God, right? Right? Not, much, not many greater than Moses. But I just get this idea that he's kind of like, this is not my idea to be here right now. <laughs> I am not digging this bullseye on my back right now. I'm going to do it, but I want you to know you're shooting at the wrong person. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. 
The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they had measured it by the omer, one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one that gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell, so Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left, and keep it until the morning. So they saved it until the morning, as Moses had commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Okay, man and the quail, the Sabbath, more disobedience or not perfect obedience, however you want to look at it. More testing. From God to his people, getting to know God, the word, you know, the, the word knowing is the word yadad. It has much more depth of implication than intellectual knowing. It can actually be used even as to the point of intimate knowing. And if you know walking with God, we're still getting to know him, aren't we? Yep. It's, it's not an easy journey getting to know God. It, it is knowing he's there and knowing he's working in your life. But getting to understand what's happening is not an easy thing. So they're learning more about their new life. They have no access to food, no access to their old way of life. They can't go back. The only option is forward, which honestly, I feel like is me lately. I can't go back to my old way of thinking. My only option is forward. Kind of scary. God's going to to care and provide for them. And they need to learn to trust, gather, and rest. The Sabbath is instituted, and naturally they have a hard time doing it. Is it the food or is it busyness that they can't stop? You know, I I, got to stop and talk about the identity of production. You got to, you know, we say you got to. You got to, you should. Those are not good words. You got to do whatever you got to do. I got to do what I got to do. But from my mind, 400 years or however many as an enslaved society where your entire value is bound up in what you produced. 
You think you just throw that away one day and go, oh, we're with the Lord now. I don't think that way anymore. I mean, just think about how our identity in our own culture is based in our production. What we do. I mean, can you imagine for the Israelites in Egypt, I mean, if they didn't produce, what happened to them? They were dead, right? They have guns, but they, whatever they did to them. They had to produce. So all of a sudden, to be told to stop. And, you know, we know our Bibles, and we know God rested on the seventh day. He could have kept creating if he wanted to, but he stopped because it's actually a really good thing to know when to say when. You've got to know when to stop in life. That's one of those transitions that's important. You've got to know when to rest. You've got to know when to play. You've got to know when to stop playing and go back to work. But there's this whole identity of production going up. That was their only value. And now they're having to learn. It's not, to, in my mind, it makes sense that this is a difficult thing because it's difficult for me. You know, I've, I've watched like the Sweeney's do this whole Sabbath thing. I'm not really doing the Sabbath thing. I don't think I have to. Biblically, although that's a terrible, I don't think my favorite way to explain what I should and shouldn't do. But man, I, I can't stop. I keep going. I'm so used to it. I realize with my own children, I have ingrained, and it's not just me, it's a society. I have ingrained a spirit of your worth is based on what you produce. And honestly, what you produce means how much money you have to live on. That's fair. That ain't changing. I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's just such a line to jump right to your worth is based on what you do. Instead of your worth is based on this God I don't understand, for if you're an Israelite at this point, loving me. That must have been a hard thing for them. And then it talks about this whole idea of gathering as a community. I think the community in the desert is no way near what the community was in Egypt. It's got to be a totally different deal now. You know, the community before you're a Christian, is totally different than the community you dwell in in the church. It's a whole nother level, right? But they, whatever they gather, not too little, not too much, just right. I think they're not only going through transitions as individuals, they're going through it together as a community. I'm not just going through a transition spiritually by myself. We're going through a transition as a community. And I think it's important to recognize that. We are doing it together. So there's this theme of trust and provision. There's this theme of community. There's this theme of effort and stopping. So as I think about this spiritually, maybe with church, like we have this idea of getting stuff done is good and not getting stuff done is bad. Light is good. Darkness is bad, right? Why is half the day night then? It's kind of a jump here, but not in my mind, and you might have a hard time following me. Like, what's your definition of success? Right? Is it only taking the hill? Is it only increase? Is it only victory? It definitely is those things. But is it only that? Is success for the, what is success for the Israelites right here in learning the Sabbath and the man on the quail? 
100% obedience, no questions asked? No. Fumbling, stumbling, generally getting it, but getting back up again and trying to listen and walk with this God that they barely, I think in a lot of ways, barely understand. I don't know. That's probably not fair to say barely. But they do not understand God in any great depth the way, they, the way they're going to. Right? In this case, I think it was just learning to trust in what God has provided and be a family. Learning to trust in what God has provided and be a family. That's, that's a good success for me right now, I think. Until I figure out what else I need to be doing. Success is not the same thing all the time. It depends on where you're at in the journey. You can't burn at full power all the time. So creation links. I I thought the manna and the fruit was kind of a creation link, right? Eat, don't eat. Well, I guess it was eat the whole time. Six days, seventh day, there's a creation link. There's a little bit of a nod back to the creation story. So what goes on here is there's another water story. I'm not going to read any more. And they have more struggles with water and trusting God. Then there's an attack by the Malachites, learning to go through an attack. And then there's this learning to organize a community in this whole situation where Jethro shows up, Moses' father-in-law, and they learn to organize and not burn poor Moses out, right? And I'm sure everybody in any community needs a certain level of organization. And then that's kind of the end of my section here, and I'm... I'm pretty sure we're going to start in 19 next week. But this is where I just want to stop on the scriptures, and I just want to talk about transition. Life is about change, and we all got to go through it. That's just what just speaks to me through all this. I'm looking at the Israelites going through this huge transition in their life, and it's never pretty. I do think, you, you know, it's probably a really good thing to keep in mind that you do need to learn how to transition well at certain times in your life and move from different phases of your life. But it's really not that easy. You know, you think about the stages of childhood. Kids, how many have you heard the kids say, this adulting thing stinks? That's a transition, right? Is that an easy transition for our our kids to go to adulting? That's rough. You know, we always joke, you know, we, we tell them the whole world, it's all about them their whole childhood. And then when they get older, we go, it ain't about you no more. And they're like, what? Right? You can be anything. Get to work. That's a tough transition. Going from being a couple. How about, how about the married couple where, you know, I'm going to pick on the guys. The guy, he doesn't engage. He still lives like a single guy with a wife. That's, you've got a transition right there. You can't go from it's all about you into a marriage. It's going to be a problem. You've got a transition. How about, how about, how about the guy that, you know, goes from being married to now having a full family? That's not an easy transition to go from no kids, having a good time, to a load of children or even one children. That's a hard transition. Is that disorienting? Yes, it is. Is it take a little while to learn how to do that? Is it bad if you don't do that? It's bad. It's a bad thing. I mean, we got, we got stats to prove that, right? Everybody knows that you, that's the thing is that transitions are hard and they're disorienting, but they gotta happen. 
And it's really bad if they don't happen. How about the dad that just, he loves his job and he's all into his work. And he doesn't spend any time with his family. You gotta, you gotta put things in their proper spot, right? You know, we're, we're thinking about going, you know, our kids leaving home. How many of us go through that transition? A little easier, but it's still a little disorienting at first, but after a couple months where everybody's like, woohoo! I don't know. Everybody's different, right? And that's the thing about transitions. Not everybody's gonna handle them the same way. Getting old is a transition. It takes a little while. You feel this way in your mind and then you look in the mirror. Right? I'm I'm just speaking the truth here. Caring for your parents. That's a full-on transition when you realize that, oh my gosh, I have got to stick around and take care of my people. It's not easy. Everybody's like, well, you should do that. Amen, you should. But I just want to recognize that a lot of things that are right in life are not easy to get to. They're not easy. And, we're, you know, we're all going to face the ultimate transition, right? That's going to be with the Lord. And I don't know what that's going to be like that. Probably going to be some getting used to. You know, we know we got to go through life, and in, in it's a little bit of a skill. But I want to address, like, this type of thinking that says, and, I, and I'm referring theologically and spiritually, that we, we, we grab hold of the gospel as it's taught to us, and then our job is to hold on till we die with our hand on the sword the whole time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's a challenge right there to really hold on. Do you, I mean, I got my understanding of the gospel, and that's all I'm ever going to know. I'm going to learn some more stuff about the Lord, but I'm not letting anybody change anything in the way I look at things. And this is a lot of Darren talking right here. Are we supposed to do that? Never change and never transition. Well, and then here's the really good question. What if we change and we're wrong? That's a fair concern. You know, I, I, it's hard. Like, I think about, like, the Pharisees in this spot. Like, I'm a Pharisee fan, just so you know. Of all the groups of people that were operating religiously in Jerusalem and in Judea at the time of Jesus, I mean, there was the Zealots, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes. They were all, there were some pretty devoted people out there, the Zealots and the Essenes in different ways, but yeah. But out of all those groups, Jesus chose to work with the Pharisees. He also got them, gave them a lot of condemnation, right? But I can really relate. I probably, would probably be more of a Herodian, but we'll have to get into that later. Because I love Greek Western lifestyle. Right? But in a lot of ways, I feel like the Pharisees were these guys that they saw themselves as the keeper of the pure truth of the love of God. They were the keepers of what was true and pure. A pure religion. They were the keepers. And they were devoted and they were honest, and they were on it. And they didn't see Jesus. So there's a danger in never changing. Because when Jesus came, was there time for a transition spiritually? Or did he just show up because it was all screwed up and he had to fix it? Oh, I think it was more a change. An understanding of maybe the way it should have been. 
You know, I'm not talking about changing the gospel. I don't want to change the gospel. The gospel is unchanging. But man, there's a lot of layers, a lot of traditions, a lot of rules, a lot of interpretation based on our worldview that has been added on top of the gospel all the years. And we can't, like, fight every change all the time. And I know this is a challenging subject, but and this is me. I guess if I get up here, it's not just me, right? It's a, it's a bigger discussion than that. But I'm afraid of changing for the wrong. But man, when I look at it that way, I'm afraid of not changing too. I mean, there are some God-ordained traditions, tra- transitions in life. And tradi- transition is a part of my whole life if I'm going to do it well. And apparently it's part of my spiritual journey too. And apparently it was a part of the Israelites' journey too. And apparently the tests and the journeys in the wilderness were part of learning new way to interact with God. I don't want to be in my zeal to keep things pure, miss God in my midst. Amen. I am as a simple name, but understanding the great I am is another story, isn't it? Amen. And the Israelites are learning that for 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 themselves, as we see in the scripture. For me, keeping it simple used to mean a few clear commands and try to explain away every complexity and mystery. Now keeping it simple is holding on to the love of God and acknowledging the mystery and complexity with trust that I'm in God's hands and that he's leading me and that I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to pass every test perfectly or have all the answers. So as we take communion, let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 1. I thought this scripture, in my mind, oh, I had a slide. Makes sense to me in this, what we're talking about today. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. You know, for understanding the great I am is foolishness at times to those who have it all figured out. I will destroy, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Now let's pray for the communion. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you. Thank you for bringing us into this life that we live in as as Christians, God, as lovers of you. Help us to understand you. Help us to trust you. Help us to hold on to the gospel. Thank you that Jesus Christ broke bread on the night he was betrayed and asked us, told us, God, to do it in remembrance of him and that he was crucified 
was in the tomb for three days and rose from the dead. And through his blood, we are walking with you. Thank you for that. Thank you for this day. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.